0: Hi, this is Steve Nerlich Why, 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 why Cheap Astronomy? Yeah, why? And this is Dear Cheap Astronomy, episode 107, Asteroid Mining on the Cheap. Well, folks, this is where the Cheap Astronomy podcast lays out its master plan for a future space economy. It's probably no nuttier than sending a bunch of hapless colonists on a one-way mission to Mars or drilling through 20 kilometres of Europa's icy crust to see if there's life in its subsurface ocean. And even if it is a bit nutty, it's not impossible that it could work. Dear Cheap Astronomy, What's the best way to redirect an asteroid's path for mining purposes? Let's start by saying cheap astronomy's plan to somewhat indiscriminately crash on the moon is not actually that indiscriminate. It's not realistic to think you can shift an object several kilometres in diameter out of the asteroid belt and onto a precise trajectory that will have it collide with the moon. At least, not without some implausible engineering and an absolute ton of fuel. And, of course, if you miss and it crashes into the Earth, that's a mass extinction event and the end of civilization as we know it. Indeed, even crashing such an object into the moon would be a bad idea. The moon would absorb the impact, but there would be a substantial amount of debris flung upwards, which is likely to circle the moon and then slowly fall back to the surface, which is potential trouble for any lunar bases. It's also likely some shrapnel would achieve lunar escape velocity and then might make its way to Earth, being the next biggest gravity well around. Most chunks would burn up in our atmosphere, but before that a circling cloud of them could become a problem for orbiting satellites and other spacecraft. So, crashing something on the Moon that's much bigger than 100 metres in diameter is not just implausible with our current technologies, It's also just a bad idea. Of course, it's not automatically a good idea to start redirecting lots of 100-metre diameter objects to collide with the Moon either, since if you miss, Earth is the next biggest gravity well around, and something that's 100 metres in diameter won't just burn up in the atmosphere. It won't cause a mass extinction event either, but unless it strikes in the deep ocean, or in a desert, mass destruction, mayhem, and mortality could result. These sort of issues have never stopped mining operations on Earth, which are responsible for a long list of environmental catastrophes and deaths, not only of miners, but of nearby communities, notably through the collapse of tailing dams. Despite these catastrophes, no one is thinking we should put a stop to mining altogether. Of course, we're not suggesting that the occasional catastrophe represents acceptable risk. We're just saying that everything has some risk, and the trick is to mitigate those risks. The advantage of crashing on the moon mining is that it happens a long, long way from any large concentrations of humanity and from any ecosystems, and if something does go amiss, at least you'll have plenty of lead time to avoid a potential catastrophe. Anyhow, The essential principle of redirecting asteroids is to remember that everything in the solar system is in a solar orbit and the diameter of that orbit is a product of an orbiting body's velocity. So going faster takes you further away from the sun and going slower brings you closer in. Either way, you're going to have to expend energy to change an object's current velocity and hence its orbit. There are some low energy cost ideas like painting the asteroid to increase its reflectivity and hence increase the push of sunlight upon it, since a white solar sail always gains more momentum than a black solar sail does. But that approach will just generate a fractional change in velocity and trajectory, so it's not going to be useful in directing an object to a specific target. Similarly, a brute force approach, like exploding a nuclear device near an asteroid, could send it or bits of it spinning off in a number of unpredictable directions at least the painting approach might be something to consider in the future when we have some cis lunar infrastructure in place that space gig talk for stuff installed nearby the moon such infrastructure might herd redirected objects and then sort them so different types are sent to different extraction facilities Indeed you really want this type of infrastructure in place before you start adding more near-earth objects to the already worrying population that exists out there now. So instead the first steps we might take in the 21st century will involve redirecting already near-earth objects of modest size to crash on the moon. This not only commences our first attempt at space mining, But also works to reduce the worrying population of near Earth objects that are out there now. And since we've got this far without actually talking about how the heck we are going to manage this much, you've probably already gathered that there's going to be a part two to this episode. This is the middle bit. Developing the capability to redirect potentially dangerous objects does have its own rewards. But how we might actually go about doing that redirecting is a whole different question. Did someone say question? Dear Cheap Astronomy, How can we redirect asteroids to crash on the moon? This is part two of a twin episode exploring how to redirect asteroids for mining purposes. So, to recap... It's unlikely we are going to achieve zero population growth here on Earth anytime soon. So we are eventually going to need more resources. While eventually might still be a long time coming, we'll need to have the skills and infrastructure in place so that we're ready when eventually does come. And putting all that future angst to one side, there's money to be made out there. Well, eventually. But as we've discussed, to space mine, you also need to space refine. It's not going to be profitable to ship and then land unprocessed ore on Earth since you will end up discarding most of it. So, rather than spending a fortune on the fuel required to soft land asteroids on Earth, why not build a refinery somewhere in space where you can crash land them? As we discussed last episode, We're just thinking 100-metre diameter asteroids to start with, and if we can manage that much, the rest of humanity's future should follow. Anyhow, to redirect the path of asteroids, we could do what the recent DART mission has done, and fly a spacecraft into an asteroid, not to explode, but to transfer its momentum to the asteroid, and hence change the asteroid's trajectory. You could do this manoeuvre several times over, adjusting the asteroid's course as you go, and when it does eventually crash onto the moon, you could then retrieve and recycle all the scrap metal embedded in it. However, there are still fuel costs with that approach, since you have to accelerate your spacecraft up to collision speed, so it can impart a useful amount of momentum to the asteroid. So, for example, we know the 500 kilogram DART spacecraft hit its target, Dimorphos, at 6.6 kilometers a second, which we're expecting will change the orbit of Dimorphos, which is orbiting around a larger asteroid called Didymus. An alternative is to attach some rocket thrusters onto the asteroid itself, essentially turning it into a steerable spacecraft. Those thrusters would later detach for reuse when the asteroid is on its final approach to crash land. This is potentially more fuel efficient and doesn't involve any destructive impacts since those thrusting engines would be remote controlled spacecraft that can just nuzzle up to the asteroid to do their work. And since a 100 meter diameter asteroid isn't going to have that much gravity, when they've done their work, The thrusting engines can just float away after a brief retrofire, which would also impart a final push upon the asteroid. Another option is that you could start the refining process on the asteroid itself by separating the dross from the economically valuable material and then use a mass driver to fling chunks of that dross in the direction opposite to the direction you want the asteroid to go in. A mass driver is space geek talk for any device that can propel a ballistic payload. So it might be a big catapult or a magrail launcher, for example. This approach is technically more difficult, but also much more fuel efficient, than attaching robot thrusters, since not only are you using in situ materials for propellant, but you're also reducing the mass of the asteroid as you go. And if it's too hard for a robot to distinguish between what's dross and what's valuable material, maybe you just sacrifice a proportion of the whole rock to get whatever is left to crash on the moon. Anyhow, there's some options. The last one probably needing 22nd century technology, but the rest could be managed relatively soon, since we can build robot spacecraft with rocket engines today. The fuel and the energy costs of any of these manoeuvres is hard to estimate exactly, and it also depends upon how fast you want to move your asteroid. So if you're in no rush, just a few small course corrections might be enough to get the job done over the course of a year or two, remembering we are going to start with near-Earth objects. So, although it might sound scary that we are steering a near-Earth object traveling at around 30 kilometers a second to crash into the Moon, remember it's in a solar orbit, and the Earth-Moon system is in a solar orbit, and we're also traveling at about 30 kilometers a second. The first rock we ever crash on the Moon would probably be at the cost of billions and billions, but with the technique ironed out, you might then do another 10 or 20 at the same cost. It's a small step into a giant engineered future. This is the end bit. So, there you go. There really is potential to crash on the moon, even if some of the process requires technology we're yet to actually implement. And of course, once you do start crashing on the moon, the next step is then to consider what you do with all that crash Everything that does impact the moon at the moment virtually vaporises into fine particles. Although on the moon, with no atmosphere, those particles will just settle as widespread dust within a certain limited diameter. That could then save us a lot of trouble in terms of processing and refining it, but it could also be the case that it's so widespread and diffuse that it's just not economically worthwhile to retrieve. As always, We need to trial and test these things. But that's it for another episode of Dear Cheap Astronomy. If you've got a space science question, or you just want to make a significant impact, why not write to cheapastro at gmail.com and let us calculate the trajectories for you. Thanks for listening. Steve Nolik, Cheap Astronomy.